It's Positive Spark Plug time, and I'm your host, Candice, and I'm fired up for you guys today for my host, Terry McDougall, Brings the Heat. We have discussions on high achievement, high achievers, and how to truly bring yourself to the game and to your success and all of the achievements that you gain and that you achieve throughout your career and throughout your life. We dive deep into actual life situations that she's been into. She shares strategies, steps, and actual real life ways that help move you forward while being present in the moment and really just being able to embrace all the success that you have earned throughout your life in all areas. Let's get to it. Hello, Terry. How are you? Hi, Candace. I'm doing great. How about you? I am fantastic. I am so excited to have you on my podcast to learn all about what you do from just what I have briefly checked out and looked at. Um, it seems like you are truly a woman of creating impact. So I'm, I'm excited to learn all that you do to, to help people become successful. Um, let's, to, to start, uh, how I've been starting since this whole COVID thing hit is to just start out with some fun. So my first question um, has been, what is your three favorite emojis or the three emojis that best describe you and why? Um, well, my my favorite emoji and I think probably the one that describes me too is the um, like the little smiley face that has like the little blush on its cheeks. I use that one all the time. Um, and you know, I just because I'm a positive person and I like to connect with people. And you know, I don't like the one with like teeth is like too cheesy, right? So I just like the you know kind of like modest but supportive and positive emoji. And then. Um, I actually, my dog's in the room with me. Um, she's a 14 year old puggle, which is a mix between a pug and a beagle. So I, I use the little dog one a lot and mainly because my favorite, um, page on Facebook that I go to is, uh, a puggle owners forum, you know, okay, of yeah. puggle owners. So like anytime, and actually this is for anybody who needs to be cheered up during COVID, Go to one of those puggle pages because they just have the cutest pictures of little dogs doing crazy things and being cute. And so I like that's just kind of my go to whenever. So I'm always like, you know, doing little hearts and like cute little dog emojis on there. Like, oh, I love your dog. It's so adorable. So that's that. And then, you know, uh, probably the third one is the heart. You know, just just because I like to send love, I like to send support and positivity to people. And that's what I'm all about as a coach. And, you know, I'm trying to make the world a better place. So, you know, like blushing smiles, love and puppies. That's what I'm all about. (laughs) I love it. I love it. That's perfect. So to to get my listeners to know a little bit more about you, um, you do 
right now you do help high achieving professionals really just kind of be able to immerse and immerse themselves in the success that they find in the achievements that they do and not just kind of feel empty within them. But can you tell us a little bit more about yourself before you got to becoming a coach that uh, helps people become fulfilled? Um, yeah, you know, the thing that I would say about what I do right now, and, I, and this will kind of lead back to, you know, how I got to this point, is that there's a lot of people that are very successful, but they're not always very happy with the success, right? So I always think like, okay, you're successful on paper, but you're paying a high price for that. And if I look back over my career, I was a first generation college graduate. And so, you know, going into the corporate world was really, you know, sort of like Alice in Wonderland. Like I was having to figure this out for myself. And I'm an ambitious person. So I was reading and I was like observing people that were successful so that I could kind of learn how do I become successful. And, you know, what I learned over the years was that a lot of times people will do things that they think are going to make themselves successful, but it actually doesn't work. And a lot of times you end up working very hard without having, you know, well, actually you will have an impact, but you're working harder than you need to, to achieve that. And I'd say in, in some ways, I mean, I, I was successful in my corporate career, but I do think I paid a higher price than I needed to, to get there. And so I guess what led me to coaching was that I had hired coaches over my career, which had helped me sort of like shift my perspective and develop skills that I needed to be more successful with, um, you know, with maybe less effort. Um, and then I, I had had some really good mentors along the way that had also, in some ways, I, I think of it as like they pulled back the curtain, you know, so that I could see like, oh, this is what's really going on. This is different than what I thought was going on. And so like, once you yes. actually understand, and so in some ways it's like the matrix, right? Like when you understand what's really going on and then you can deal with what is instead of what you think is going on. Um, and then, you know, I, I'm the oldest of four girls. And so being the big sister for my whole life, I think I just always enjoyed helping people, you know, like figuring stuff out and then turning around and like helping somebody else figure out how to do it themselves. So I've always sort of just naturally done that even when I was in school. But and when I got out, I would help people with their resumes. And, um, and then as a, a marketing leader, that was part of my job, you know, to, was to to, um, you know, mentor and coach the people that were on my teams. And one of the things I noticed was that I spent more time doing that than a lot of my colleagues did. But I also felt like I got the return on the investment of that time with my teams because yes. people liked working for me. The employee engagement scores were higher than average. People um, stayed with me. Like even when I would move jobs, sometimes people would come with me to the next apartment that I went to. And, uh, and to me, it just made sense that, you know, if you're going to invest in people that you're going to get the return also, you know, when you're, when you're a leader, you can only be as successful as the people that work under you. So to me, it's, it just seemed like it made sense to invest in that. And, um, you know, the last couple years that I was in my last corporate job, I didn't really feel like it was a great fit for me. And I sort of ended up in it, not 
I didn't really end up in it because I really wanted to be in it. It just sort of like uh, some things happened in the company. I ended up in this role and okay. you know, I, I was sort of like, okay, I, you know, I'm going to do my best. I mean, that wasn't the first time that something like that happened because I worked for a long time. Sometimes the company is just like, we need you here. And you say, okay. Um, but in this case, it wasn't a great fit for me. And so therefore I was a little, I was, I was working hard, but I was a little unhappy. And I, I decided to leave. I was in a position where I could leave without having another job. And, um, when I left, I thought, what am I going to do next? I really wanted to spend some time giving it some thought because I had worked at that company for 12 years and yeah. I'd done a lot of fantastic things. I really was very, very thankful for all of the opportunities that I had there. Great people, great growth and opportunities and all of that. But I wanted to be thoughtful about what I did next. And so I, uh, I, I did what I actually advise a lot of my clients to do when they aren't feeling that happy with their jobs is like, I say, okay, well, what are you good at? And what do you like to do? Because they're not always the same things. You yes. know, a lot of times people can really be good at something, but not like it, or maybe they've outgrown it. And so um, in this case, I, I kind of looked back and, you know, I was mentioning about the coaching and mentoring, but that, that wasn't top of mind. I was thinking I'm a marketing director, right? Like I need marketing. I wasn't thinking about like coaching. Yeah. But, uh, actually I, I, when I was leaving my job, I was doing some networking and I ran into somebody and I was kind of talking to him about my career. And he was like, you know, you sound a lot like my wife. And she was like a PR professional and she went back and got this coaching certificate and she loves what she does. So I talked with her and that actually led me to find the coaching certification program that I went through. And even then, I didn't initially think that I would do it full time. I just thought, okay, I'll okay. get another job, but I'll, I'll use, you know, this skill in my next job and I'll have it in my back pocket. Maybe I'll have, do it a little bit part time on the side and then I'll have it. I'll have this skill and certification for when I get closer to retirement. But in the program that I was going through, a lot of the people were. Uh, planning on doing it full time. And so I think just being around the, the program was, um, six months of, of training. And then it took a couple months after that. And I'm still very connected with the people I went through the program with. And I think it, it's just basically contagious. <laughs> you know, when you're around other people that are like, Hey, I'm going to make this happen. Yeah. I thought, well, why not? Why don't I do it, do it too? And I can always get another job. I can you know, always go out and get a job, but you know, I might not always be in a position where I have the momentum and, you know, the energy yep. to go and do this. And so, you know, that's going back to 2017 when I decided that I was going to do it. And so here it is, you know, it's like four years later and I'm, <laughs> I'm still out here doing my thing. I love that's it. That's amazing. <laughs> that's exciting. That's exciting. The power of connection, right? Like I, I want to dive a little bit into that. So with like, with your uh your company before your your corporate company um you loved it you you enjoyed what you got out of it but what was the difference between the connection from the people you got doing this course that really made you want to thrive and drive and be successful in this coaching business or career um, that is a little bit different from the people that were in the corporate world and, and the connections that you got from them? That, that's a great, that's a really great question. 
you know, I liked working in the corporate world because there are such smart people and, you know, there's, there's a lot going on. I worked for big, the last two jobs I had were with big companies. So there were a lot of resources that I was just learning a lot. Um, but I always felt even within that big corporate environment that I was, I called myself entrepreneurial, meaning that like, okay, I work in this big company, but I do entrepreneurial things. And a yes. lot of times I was, you know, getting involved in, in new projects, new, new product launches or rebrandings. Or if we bought another company, I would be involved in getting those people onboarded. And so I was very often kind of going into these really undefined situations and, um, you know, helping to figure out what, you know, the problem might have been very undefined, right? But I was going in and trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do here? And I like that kind of problem solving. And I, you know, I think for a variety of reasons, I'm pretty comfortable with ambiguity. Um, and we, maybe we can talk about that later. But, yeah. um, but uh, I, I often would sort of... I mean, I tolerated sort of the red tape and the structure that is required. I mean, I, I wasn't like trying to rebel against that, but I did sometimes find it a little uncomfortable because you really had to jump through a lot of hoops yes. to do something. And sometimes it, like towards the end of, uh, before I left, I really felt like I was having to work really, really hard just to do my job. <laughs> you know, so you'd come up with an idea and then you'd have to jump through 50 hoops. And then some, somebody would say, okay, you can do it. And I was like, okay, how come I couldn't just do this like eight months ago when I came up with the idea? Yeah, the momentum's <laughs> um, kind of been lost. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I don't, you know, that's just kind of the beast when you work within a core. And I, I totally understand. I mean, I worked in banking. It's not like, you know, that's that's a conservative environment. And they don't want to let people just be like, yeah, go out and do whatever, you know, fail fast. They don't want anybody failing at anything when you work in financial services, which is understandable. Um, but I, I felt that over the course of the time that I worked there, um, you know, in, in the beginning, they had a lot of new things going on. And so I was, I've used this analogy where I almost felt like they were like, okay, Terry, there's a jungle. Here's a machete. We want you to like, cut your way into the middle of the jungle, see what's there and come back and tell us what opportunities we have. And then, you know, there was a lot of freedom to just figure stuff out and just do it. But, um, you know, as time went on, the company became more mature. I mean, it's actually, it's funny because it's a, a 200 plus year company, but um, it just, it, it, I, I think particularly in the U.S. because it, it's a foreign owned company, um, it became more mature in the U.S. And so, you know, I think every corporation moves towards like making things more consistent and repeatable and sustainable. Yep. And for me, I like it when things are a little bit wild, you know, and uh, because I feel like there's opportunity for more creativity there. So I think it's as time legal. went on. Yeah, as time went on, it just wasn't as good of a fit because there weren't those like go out into the jungle opportunities. It was more like, okay, here's your cul-de-sac, <laughs> you know, just pull up, pull your minivan up into yep. the three car garage and, <laughs> and just do your thing. And I was like, Oh, this is boring. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I hope that answered your question. No, that is great. Um, 
so within these within these connections, um, you you talked about having coaches and and mentors and stuff. Can you talk about the importance of having them? And do you think even coaches should have coaches? Yes. Well, first of all, absolutely. Coaches need coaches. Um, you know, I, I say to my clients all the time, you can't read the label from inside the bottle. Like we're all just walking around, being ourselves, doing what we do. And we all have blind spots, even coaches. So if we're not getting the results that we hope to get, a lot of times we can't see what we can do differently. So having that perspective of somebody who's going to stand back and hold up the mirror and be like, now you can see yourself in the mirror. I'm going to reflect back to you what's really going on here. That's that's very, very valuable. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, having having mentors, I mean, you know, we all we all like approach the world from, you know, the where we came from. Right. And, and a lot of times, you know, we, we don't, I mean, we really don't have any choice but to see the world the way we see it. And yeah. sometimes, uh, mentors, well, always mentors can, you know, kind of help you peel back the blinders so you see more of what's going on around you. Like people see, you know, there's stuff going on around us all the time, but we might judge it or we might only see part of this bigger picture. And it's extremely valuable to have somebody say, well, first of all, like, take off the blinders. Like, you know, and I'll be like, what? I don't have yep. blinders on. But they, they're like, yeah, you do. And then they'll start, like, looking at the big picture and kind of connecting dots. And then I'll be like, oh, okay. Like, I didn't realize that that was what was going on here. And when you start to understand things on that you know, broader level, and you start to see the interconnections, especially in big, complex organizations, it just helps you to learn how to navigate better, to take things less personally, um, to understand what's expected of you without somebody like spelling it out, you know, A to Z, um, or A to Z. <laughs> so, um, uh, so anyway, that's, that's super helpful. And then, you know, I'd say, um, Coaching there, there was one, uh, at one point in my career where hiring a coach was absolutely the catalyst for having me make a, a very, very much a life and career changing shift. Um, and it, again, it was something that I wasn't seeing about myself. I knew that I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. Um, but I couldn't see why. Okay. And, and she really helped me. So for people that are looking for a coach, what are some things that someone should look for in a coach in order for you? Because it can be different. And what do you try to really bring forth in your coaching? So we can start kind of bringing in your coaching with this question. So what mm -hmm. should people look for in a coach? And, and what do you really try and bring forth in your coaching? Um, well, I think the first thing that people should do is, is try to get clear on what it is that they want to get out of the coaching, you know, because a lot of times what it starts with is somebody feeling like I don't, something doesn't seem right. I don't feel satisfied or I feel exhausted. I feel stuck. And it, that could be for many reasons, right? It could be that, um, you know, your job's not a good fit or you have some skill gaps that are causing you to get really stressed at work. 
And so you need to help have somebody help you bridge those gaps. But that also could be coming from like, oh, you've got, you know, nutritional deficiencies and you're exhausted. So then you can't. So, you know, trying to get clear on why is it that I'm feeling the way I am? If, you know, I'm a I'm an executive and career coach. So if people determine that, OK, that the issue is something at work and then look for somebody that, you know, I, I think there's a couple things, somebody that has um, the experience in the arena. Um, and somebody who you click with, you know, yes. because you're going to be talking, you know, it's very funny. I've had, I mean, I'm not a therapist, you know, I've never had any therapy training, but I did go through a rigorous coach training program. And certainly they brought a lot of psychological training into that. But I, I have had people who I think when they first come into coaching, they think it's going to be like, okay, they're just going to talk to me about all these tactical things. And a lot of times, if people are stuck at work, it doesn't really have necessarily anything to do with tactical issues. It actually may have to do with their own beliefs about things. Okay. And I had a I had a client um, not that long ago who, um, you know, he got on the phone with me and he was like, oh, yeah, I told my wife that I was meeting with my work therapist today um, because, you know, you have to be comfortable with the person because you're probably going to have to be a little bit vulnerable with them. Yes. You might have to admit, like, I feel afraid about my upcoming performance appraisal because I'm not sure how my new boss perceives me. Or, um, you know, I'm angry that this person on my team seems to be being very passive aggressive when I try to direct them, right? Like, there's all different emotional things that come into it. And, you yes. know, I'm not, I don't like spend a lot of time like, oh, tell me how you feel. But I do, you know, if somebody is, is angry or they feel any, any emotion in response to something that's going on, I'm going to try to normalize that for them. Because, um, you know, if they're like caught up in the anger of feeling, you know, wanting to avoid the situation or, or yep. feel really defensive, they're not going to be open to, you know, the awareness that they're going to need to have to make change that will actually have an impact, a positive impact on the situation. Yeah. Right? You know, it's not, it's not about, and I mean, I, I've done it many times in my career when I didn't know any better that, you know, I would go home to my roommates and complain about my boss, you know, and it, it got really tiresome, <laughs> right? And nothing was really going to change as long as I was caught up in that, like, oh, she's so mean and blah, blah, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, you know, she's unrealistic. Whatever this situation was, you know, a lot of times we actually have a lot more control over situations than we recognize. Um, but it requires us to show up differently. And um, I'll actually, I'll give you an example of, um, yes, crazy please. Bosses. Crazy bosses. <laughs> um, I, uh, two jobs ago, um, they had some restructuring our department and I, I worked in this one city in North Carolina, but we had dual headquarters in North Carolina and Atlanta, Georgia. And the guy that they brought in to be over our department was in Atlanta. So he would only come up like maybe once every two weeks to be with our department. And so he decided okay. to hire somebody, like put a layer of management in uh, to be in our city to manage our department. 
And uh, the woman that they hired, I mean, she looked, she looked good on paper, but let me just like give you an idea of like kind of my introduction to her. Like I'm sitting in my office, okay. I shared a wall with her, and all of a sudden I hear this screaming coming through the wall, and I'm I can't help but hear it. And she is laying into the dry cleaner that was in our building, screaming at them about how they had lost a pair of pants of hers that went to a suit. And I was like, I'm sitting here like, like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? Right? No doubt. And, um, and so this was just like, you know, one of the first introductions to her very much emotional instability. And she, she was also very, like, very much a micromanager. You know, our, t- our department had like operated fine, actually, without a leader in that in the office. And I had relationships with all of the people within the organization that I needed to work with from a marketing standpoint. And I just went to them directly. And all of a sudden she came and was like, you have to, you have to send everything through me. I have to approve it before you send it on. And so I was doing that, but she would not ever give me the work back. So then my internal clients would say, Hey, Terry, how's that brochure going? And I'd be like, I don't know. It's been sitting on my boss's desk for three weeks. You know, sometimes I'd have to go in and help her dig through the papers on her desk to find. No way. Yeah. So anyway, it it was kind of crazy. But I the way that I dealt with that was that I started avoiding her and I actually stopped giving her my stuff to review because I thought she, you know, she never gives me any good feedback. And I'm getting in trouble with my internal clients because we're not moving the projects along. Um, but it didn't take her long to catch on to this, right? That she's like, Oh, she's, she's like cutting me out of the loop. Yeah. So she called me into her office and she basically was like, you better get with the program or I'm going to put you, you know, on a, a performance improvement plan, which if anybody who's worked in big companies knows that's the first step to them firing you. And so I, I was a good employee for, in my mind. Um, and I thought, okay, well, I sure don't want to get fired. So I was like, what can I do? So what I realized was instead of avoiding her, like I had been doing every morning, I put my big girl panties on and I would like poke my head in her office and I paste a smile on and say, um, hi, how are you today? Good morning. You know, and the funny thing is, even though that it, it was really difficult for me to do that because I did not like her and she, I didn't respect her as a professional either. Um, but she was my boss. And the funny thing is that after that, and I didn't mention before too, she would sort of bully me as well. She was, she was like a little crazy. And after that, all of a sudden she started like dropping in my office and she would come in and she would want to chit chat and like bounce things off of me. And I was like, Oh my gosh. I, I mean, I, I was like kind of amazed that like that small change on my part changed her attitude towards me so significantly. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately she found another victim in our department that she started bullying. And that was actually so egregious that it rose to the level that HR understood that they really needed to do something about it. And she did lose her job. It took about 10 months from when she started um, to lose her, her job. And I think part of it was because our the whole big department leader was in a different city. So 
you know, she could control the narrative with him. He wasn't there to observe how she was acting. Um, But my lesson out of that is that I, you know, I had to take responsibility for my part in this. And my part was that I was not respecting the position. She was my boss and I needed to respect that that position, even if I thought she was a poor manager, I, I, that did not give me the, um, ability to just say, well, forget it. You're a bad manager. I'm not going to deal with you. And that's what I was trying. That, that's kind of what I was doing when I was avoiding and like yep. cutting her out of the loop. Um, but when I took responsibility and said, okay, I'm going to start treating her with respect, even though it's hard for me because I don't feel that way for her things turned around. She, you know, she started treating me differently. And I I would challenge anybody who feels like they're in like a dance that is just repeating itself. It's just a yep. pattern like to, to step back and say, what can I do differently? Um, because often when we just do one thing differently, the other person will start responding differently too. Yes, I like that. Yeah, I like how you brought um, like insecurities. Um, do you feel that's like you feel that's where she came from? And what you were doing was you were kind of putting a spotlight on where they were in her. And then once you kind of stop, you know, being a spotlight, but just kind of being a light, I would say to her. Um, unfortunately she did go find someone else, but do you find that that's why she, she transferred and changed in her ways? Did she start giving you your reports back on time and stuff like that? Did all of that kind of change or was that still lacking? No, no, not, not everything changed. I mean, she still, uh, I think kind of had some bad habits when it came to her management style, but she wasn't bullying me. You know, and she wasn't, uh, she wasn't treating me, you know, as a, I don't know, I don't know, what's the right word? Um, well, let's just say she wasn't treating me like as I was a hostile, <laughs> hostile witness or something like that. Okay. Yeah. She was, she yeah. was treating me like in a more collaborative way, which was better for both of us. And I do think you're absolutely right. I don't think that I, you know, even though I didn't respect her because of the way that she acted, I mean, screaming at the dry cleaner, I mean, like the little guy that ran the dry cleaning, I was like, you know, even, even if they did lose her pants, which actually knowing her and realizing how unorganized she was, I'm sure they were laying on the bottom of her closet at home. (laughs) But, um, but uh, nobody deserves to be treated that way. You know, and so that really made me feel like, oh, I don't really want to have much to do with her. But um uh, I'm sorry, like talking about insecurities. Oh yeah. Insecurities. So, um, just, I think that one of the things I learned from that is to understand that even people who are in positions of power can feel insecure and for us to be empathetic to that and, you know, try to think like, how can I be part of the solution here rather than just being so, um, I don't know, I guess self, uh, self oriented, right? Because I was just, I think I was being a little bit selfish about the way I was looking at it. And I wasn't really thinking about things from her perspective. I was just sort of thinking like, well, this is a commentary on her not thinking that I'm, 
you know, capable enough of just dealing with my own internal clients directly. I've been doing this for like seven years. I know how to do this, right? But now I look at it and I realize, well, she was brand new and she needed to figure out what was going on. She was probably overwhelmed. I very likely could have helped her get more acclimated. Yeah. It's not like she, she didn't ask me to do that, but had I been a little bit more aware, I probably could have stepped up and said, Hey, you know, well, let me explain, you know, the relationships here or what the situation is here. Or I could have sat down with her and explained some of my projects so she didn't have to like go through them herself, you know, but I was just being a little bit more defensive. And honestly, I think partly because I was a little alarmed by her behavior and I was like, well, if she's capable of that, I want to steer clear. Yeah. I don't want her to scream at me, you know, so I was really avoiding her. But I think that if I had stepped up and engaged her, that I probably could have avoided some of the, you know, early issues that I had. Um, you know, I, I don't think that me or anybody else could have cured her <laughs> you know I think that these these yeah. habits that she had were really like deeply ingrained and maybe there were even some you know mental health issues there quite frankly yeah um but uh you know you'll deal with you know anybody will deal with that kind of stuff yes. here and there within the corporate world so you can't just avoid it wholesale yes so with with all with all that you learned in in that scenario and in those moments, um, I liked what you said, um, you know, just because people of, you know, higher power or higher titles or known to, you know, have a certain fame or whatever it is, doesn't mean that they don't have insecurities. They don't feel mm -hmm. anything that we, you know, we feel. So how did you start taking that lesson, what you've learned through it, uh, what you saw from her and bring it into your coaching and start helping others start to, you know, find, find themselves within their insecurities so that they don't, you know, spew them out on everybody mm -hmm. else. Um, how did you incorporate that? How did you resonate with that and bring it into your coaching? Well, um, a lot of times whenever I'm dealing with my clients and they bring a situation into our, our coaching session that's um, about conflict with somebody else, I really try to help them start to see it from that person's perspective and also to understand themselves and what their preferred way of interacting is. And, you know, I'll, I'll um, give you an example of somebody that I've worked with who is a sales manager. And he was talking to me about this one um, salesperson that reported to him. And he said, you know, she's, she's probably one of the most talented salespeople that I have. But, you know, I, I'm bothered because a lot of times when I'm, I'm trying to reach her or get updates or get feedback from her, that she seems to, she won't, she won't engage. And the more we talked about it, the more that what we realized was like his style was very, very, um, very extroverted. And okay. like, if he's not getting the results that he is expecting, he kind of doubles down. Like he's like, okay, well, if I called her, you know, once today and she hasn't called me back tomorrow, I'm going to call her three times. Right. Okay. But, yeah. So he would, he would like get more and more aggressive about it. And then we were talking about, his, uh, you know, the person that reported to him and what her style was. And he said, you know, she's, 
she's actually very thoughtful and she's somewhat on the introverted side. She's smart and she's strategic about how she approaches her sales planning and, you know, connecting with her prospects and clients, but she's not, uh, she's not extroverted. And so I helped him to understand that like him coming on as strong as he did probably made her retreat, you know? And so I I said, you know, how, how else could you possibly approach this situation? And, and I think first of all, for him, he hadn't really realized what his style was. Like it was, I mean, it's just like what I said about like, you can't read the label from inside the bottle. He was doing his thing. He yep. had led a successful career and most salespeople are pretty extroverted. So that had worked for him with most of the people he was yes. working with. He had somebody that was just had a different style and she was successful with her style. And so we just thought, we just talked about different ways that he could approach it. And, um, I think I can't remember exactly what our, our solutions were, but I think it was a little bit more about, um, you know, maybe corresponding with her a little bit more over email and, um, you know, giving her more time to think about the reason why he wanted to talk with her, not like just kind of springing it on her, right? And expecting her to respond on the moment. And, And that actually is something that's different between extroverts and introverts, that extroverts a lot of times will, will think as they're talking, they actually, it helps them to process by talking. And that's me. And me too. And introverts usually need to internally process before they express themselves. And so there can be a real uh, mismatch there if, you know, the extroverts expecting the introvert to process exactly the same. They're like, come on, come on. You know, like, what do you think? What do you think? And that person's like, whoa, you know, like, I, I yep, need a moment, yep. right? Like, I'm going to go into my cave over here and I'm going to go away. Right, exactly. You, you know, and it, I think that that actually has, it's counterproductive to, to do that because they're feeling defensive and that's probably elongating the amount of time until they can get to the point where they can sort of like think through things and come up with what they want to say. Um, so I, I think that that was a big aha moment for him to be like, Oh, okay. We have different styles and she does happen to be sort of the unicorn on my team. And that's why this approach is not working with her working for her. Yes. I like that. Um, so speaking of like going into this, because for example, like me, it is, it's easier said than done, right? Like it's easier said than done. So how can, how can one, um, Oh, I just lost my train of thought. How can one bring themselves, because it can be challenging. That's the word. It can be very challenging. So how can one bring themselves to actually want to challenge themselves to learn someone else's perspective, whether it's the way they communicate, the way that they work, the way any of it, if they're needing to be associated with them in some sort of way, how can someone bring themselves to challenge themselves to not just be in their own way, to actually learn from someone else and be in their perspective? Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, one uh, one thing that can be helpful is 
the the varying assessments that are available out there, you know, so like the Myers-Briggs or the DISC or I'm um, certified in one that's called Predictive Index. And when you can look at your profile versus somebody else, a lot of times you can see like, oh, we're similar in these ways, but we're not similar in these ways. And so when you understand what the differences are between people's styles and preferences and ways of processing information, um, you can be respectful of that, right? So for example, if you are an extrovert and you're running a meeting and you know that some of the people in the room are introverts, to give them a moment, don't arrive at the conclusion because you and, you know, a couple other expert or extroverts in the room have decided, yeah, we think this is what needs to happen. Like, give it a beat. Give those other people in the room time to process and then ask them. So, okay, I haven't heard from you. What what are your thoughts? Right. Um, and a lot of times those people that are taking a little bit more time to process, they might come up with a really different perspective that is helpful. Um, but if we, you know, if those of us who are extroverted, like shut them out and are like, well, well, they didn't say anything. So I guess they didn't have anything they didn't have any thoughts about it. Yep, like nothing really to say. Be, Let's keep moving. Yeah, you you really could be losing out on some very valuable uh, wisdom. I like that. Um, with within your coaching, um, you you work with high achievers. Like we were discussing, you know, people that are executives, you know, uh, owners of huge mm-hmm. businesses, corporates, all of that kind of stuff. So they're seeing struggles kind of on a daily basis, I would say, kind of some sort of way. Um, how important is it for someone, even just in general, in, in life, how important is it for someone to seek challenges? Because I, I I think it, not just in seeking challenges in how other people view life, but just seeking things that make you feel challenged in life in certain ways, challenge your mind, challenge your thinking, challenge your body. How do you get your your corporate people to want to head into a challenge? Say they're seeing something, they're like, oh my God, they want to avoid it. How do you help someone seek challenge and know that it's necessary in order to really grow? Um, you know, usually with the people that I work with, they're, they're seeking challenges all the time, but, um, you know, what do they say? Like what got you here won't get you there. You know, they, a lot of times people will just rely on what they've learned in the past and assume that, you know, well, this is, you know, this made me successful. So this is going to continue to make me successful going into the future. And especially if somebody's moving up and they're, you know, they have different expectations placed on them, like they have, they have more people reporting to them, or they're moving into a role where they're leading a different type of business, they are going to need to learn new things, right? So uh, if they believe that they're not going to have to personally change they can just keep pulling out the same dog and pony show and get great results. That's probably not the case. And a lot of times that is why people will seek coaching because they're trying things that have worked for them in the past and they're no longer getting the impact that they think they should be getting. Right. There's some issue. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 
there's there's a there's a number of different like patterns I've seen. Like for example, somebody getting promoted to the next level up, and they don't mentally promote themselves. Okay, yeah. Like they're they're just like, okay, I have a new title and a new office, and I've got different people reporting to me. But you know, I did all of this at my my lower position, so I'm just going to do all of this at this position. And I just have different responsibilities. And that's that's not the case. I mean, you you may have more resources or different resources at your disposal. You know, when you're the leader of uh, a group, you know, you've got uh, authority to take a look and say, okay, what needs what do I need to make happen here to get the results that are expected of yes. me? And sometimes people don't like maybe re-examine the processes that are in place. So like maybe there's a lot of inefficiencies in the department and they're just like, oh, well, this is how we're supposed to do it. And the reality is like, no, you've been put in response, you know, you've been put um, over this department to get this result. Nobody's telling you how you do that. That's actually up to you. Okay, yeah. You know, sometimes people have blind spots like, well, this is just the way the company does it. And it's like, well, actually... You can change that, you know, or the people that are on your team, you can look and say, I don't think this person is up to the task. Um, and I, I think I need to upgrade talent or, or whatever, whatever the, the issue is. But, you know, yep. a lot of times people don't see all of the different levers that are in front of them. They can actually start pulling now. Um, and that's, I'd say that that's a bit of a mindset shift, you know, first of all. And then sometimes there's, there's skill set. Uh, development that needs to be done too, right? And and a lot of times it's around getting comfortable in that uh, position because they might say like, oh my gosh, now I have to present to the board and I feel, you know, n- I always get nervous when I'm under pressure like that. And so, you know, it's it's really about reframing things so that they can do what they're fully capable of doing, but they can change the, you know, deep-seated beliefs or you know, things that are making them sort of like yep. self-sabotage. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, they're, they're capable. They're, there's a reason they got promoted. Yes. You know? um, but sometimes people just get nervous when they're in a new situation because it's outside of their comfort zone. But, you know, one thing to, to keep in mind is that, you know, no growth uh, occurs within the comfort zone. You know, like you're always having to step just a little bit out outside of your comfort zone um, in order to grow. It's just necessary. Yes. So within stepping out of your comfort zone, there comes a lot of like anxiety, fear of the big old F word failure. Mm-hmm. So how do you work with your high achieving, you know, clients or with anybody? How do you? How does one step out of their comfort zone? Do you have certain strategies that you bring your clients through that helps them get comfortable with stepping out of their comfort zone, taking the leap? Is it just jumping in? What are your ways of helping someone discover outside of their comfort? Well, you know, it it really depends on the personality. Like some people that I work with are so, they love big challenges so much that they they're like the type that are like I'll just jump out of the airplane without a a parachute and I'll figure out what I'm going to do on the way down right like there's some people that love that and they're like woo you know like whatever you know I grabbed the seagull and it brought me down to the ground right like they just figure it out right and they like that they get off on that adrenaline rush of 
you know, those big challenges. And then there are other people that are very, um, you know, they're very pragmatic and they want to have like everything planned out before they get started. And a lot of times, especially if you're in a leadership role and you're tasked with doing something that hasn't been done before, there's no playbook, right? So, you know, first of all, you get clear on the, the goal, right? And, it, and that could be informed by the leadership that's saying, okay, this is what we expect of you. So that helps yep. with the goal. Um, but I really try to help people, especially if they feel nervous about, you know, being, if they, a lot of people that are high performers are perfectionists, right? And so that can sometimes cause them to procrastinate because they're fearful that they're going to take a wrong step. And I try to help them reframe the whole idea of failure to realize that, you know, there's a little acronym for fail, which is first attempt and learning, right? So that sometimes you need to go out and see what doesn't work. You know, you've got to try things to yeah. see what doesn't work to help you figure out like, okay, um, okay, it didn't work over here. How about if I try over here? Okay, now I understand like it's this middle ground that this is this is where I need to go. Um, but I, I will say to people like, what's the smallest little step that you can take towards your goal that you feel comfortable with? Right. And it doesn't sometimes people will say to themselves, like, it's a big goal. So I have to take this giant leap to get there. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't have to take, you know, you don't have to go to Acapulco and do a giant swan dive off a craggy cliff. Right. You don't have to do that. That's actually not a good way to. You know, especially if you've never done it before, that's yeah, not a good yeah, way to do it. No, right? no, don't do that. <laughs> like you, you, you know, you just want to like dip your toe in the water and be like, oh, okay, or find people. Like who else has done this? You know, what can you do to reduce the risk of that, you know, quote unquote failure or making yeah. mistakes? Um, and, and also I just try to get people to, okay, well, you want to take an action. What's the worst that can happen? Okay. Well, let's plan for that. Right. So that if that does happen, you know what you're going to do. Right. But a lot of times people, when they worry about the worst case, the chances of the very worst case happening is often really small. But yeah. you, like obsess about that and think like, oh, my gosh, I can't I'm I'm paralyzed because that might happen. Well, yeah, maybe it will happen. But if that does happen, what are you going to do? Like have a plan yeah. in place. Yeah. And then once that's in place, go ahead and take action. Yeah. And, um, and also if you make a mistake, just let it go. Like just say to yourself, okay, I learned what not to do, you know, because I think a lot of, uh, high achieving people will beat themselves up. Um, you know, and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I made a mistake. I made a fool of myself in front of the big boss. And, He's probably, he or she is probably not thinking about that. They had probably way bigger fish to fry yep. than if you, you know, use the wrong data in your presentation or, you know, you asked a silly question or you proposed something that they didn't like, right? Okay, take yes. that as some, you know, a data point that you're going to put back into your calculations about what you're going to do next. Yes. So when you when you have someone choose a small step um, to get out of their comfort zone, do you have them focus on doing that small step for like a certain amount of time before adding maybe another step to get out of their comfort zone or to like add on something um, like 
the power of consistency, right? Like dipping your toe in the water, dipping your toe in the water. Mm-hmm. How long do you how long do you have someone kind of stay within that that part of being comfortable? Because eventually your toe gets comfortable with the water. So how mm-hmm. do you get them so okay, now you've gotten comfortable here? What's the next? How can we go into the next one? You know, to tell you the truth, most of the time, once we've sort of shifted this, um, uh, shifted this perspective that it's all or nothing, it's either the, you know, it's either the dive off the craggy cliff or I'm just not going to do it. Like once, once I've like said, like, you don't have to do something so dramatic and actually that's very risky. Let's break it down. Once they sort of shift to like, oh, okay. That, I mean, I would tell you a lot of times at the end of a, um, a coaching call, I'll say, okay, well, you know, what's your takeaway? What are you going to do from what we talked about today? They will have something that they've decided based on what we talked about. Like, oh, well, I'm just going to go and call my boss and have this conversation with them because you're right. I'm not going to get fired if I bring this situation up. Yeah. Like it's, it's been reframed so that they realize there's not as much risk in it as what they feared. And what I will find very often is that by the next time that we talk, they would have taken 10 steps because it's just that first step um, that they have all of these like irrational fears around. And once that's reframed and it, it's almost like, you know, you, you're on a path and you run, you know, you run right into this giant boulder that's like huge that's in front of you and you're, you're so close to it that you can't see around it. And I'm like, okay, let's take three steps back. And they step back and they're like, Oh, there's paths on either side. Right. But they're so close to it. They see no other way. And so once they see like, oh, there's a path and they get past that one obstacle and then they're like, oh, this is pretty smooth sailing. You know, like I know what to do. Um, and then they may later on run into another situation that's that's tough. Um, and we'll we'll talk about that. But really, it's generally I'm not having to, you know, baby them because, like I said, typically it's people that are high achieving. Yeah. Um it's just that, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, climbing Mount Everest, you know, that maybe like in the lower part of the mountain, it's, it's not so hard. But when you get higher and higher, it becomes more and more challenging. And I think that happens sometimes with people are like, okay, I've, I've gotten here pretty easily. Yeah. Um, being a little more steep as I go up. And so they need a little bit more guidance, just like, you know, anybody, if they were climbing Mount Everest, they really would need a guide to say like, oh, try that foothold or whatever. Yes, I like that. Um, within, so within your coaching, what are some other things that you really dive into with your clients? What are other ways that you help them? Um, I know it's like with time management, all of that kind of stuff. Um yeah, share a little bit more with what you like what you do to bring your coaching to life and why some somebody would uh, look for you uh, within coaching if they were to be a high achiever. Um, you know, I really believe that deep down inside, each person knows what they want. Um, but I think a lot of times, especially with high achieving people, they get so tuned into focusing on what other people want, you know, like, and, which makes sense, like over the years, if somebody's high achieving, they've been reinforced and rewarded 
for doing what other people want them to do. Like, what do my parents want me to do? What do my teachers want me to do? What do I need yes. to do to get into a high, you know, a good college? What do I need to do to get this great job and then get promoted? Like they're focused on what other people are looking for. And a lot of times when they get to that point where they're, you know, like I said, successful, but not satisfied, it's because they've lost touch with what is it that I really want? You know, because when we are operating in that zone of genius, like where we just love what we do and we can do it all day long, we, you know, we re-energize, we renew, right? Yep. Yeah. We're not, when we're doing things we're capable of doing, but that we don't necessarily love, we don't refill our tanks as easily. So we become, um, you know, kind of exhausted and and burned out and maybe feel stuck and don't have the energy to even figure out what to do next. And so when people get to that point, I really try to help them get in touch with like, what is it that you want? And we'll do things like we have, um, you know, I have values assessments that I'll do to help them say like, okay, what are the, the values that you really care about? And how are they showing up in your life right now? You know, if you're saying that, you know, your number one value is spending time with your family and you aren't seeing your family very much, like yes. you're not really living your values. So yes. that a lot of times can help people start to think like, okay, what do I need to reprioritize in my life to enjoy it more? And, you know, I kind of look at it like success is not really success if you're miserable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, like, agree. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You can make a lot of money and not be very happy. And to me, that's not really success. Um, and then um, let me think here. Other. So you go into values. So let's talk about. So we have high achievers and I know we we mentioned it briefly about like flipping the script and stuff like that. How would you get a high achiever to flip this script? Because especially if they've already are so used to, like you said, a certain way of achieving certain ways of getting rewards and like mm -hmm. the success from the outwards, how do you get someone to go from outwards to inwards with their success mm -hmm. so that they do feel um, fulfilled and yeah. they they do feel satisfied um, without needing that outwards, outwards. Yeah, you know, I think that um, it's not really up to me to say, hey, you know, you're focused way too much on external validation. The, I just kind of hold the mirror up so that if they're not happy with how things are going right now, that they see the trade-offs that they're making in their lives. And once they see that, they can choose whether they want to change something or not. But, you know, it, you can't, you know, a person can't come and be like, I'm so unhappy, I'm getting these results, but I'm not going to change anything. Because if you want different results, you have to change something, you know, and sometimes yes. the reason why people resist change is that they become very attached to what they've done up until now to be successful. And there's sometimes there's fear under that, like, oh, if I change something that uh, I'm going to lose all my success. And so, you know, and, and most of the time people aren't coming right out and saying that, but they do fear like, oh, if I show up differently, um, you know, maybe I'll be happier, but maybe I'll be demoted three levels. Yeah. Right? Like they, they were, 
Yeah. Yeah. And so usually we'll start off with something small that I'll say, you know, I, I'll give you an example of somebody that I was working with who got promoted and she never was able to get her work done during the day because people were coming into her office all day long asking her as the head of this department to solve their problems. And she considered herself to be, you know, like one of those managers who had the open door policy. Um, but I said, okay, well, why don't we start off with you closing your door for a couple hours a day? And she had to get used to that. She was like, well, what are people going to think? And, you know, what if they need me and, and this and that? And I was like, well, they can wait until your door's open, um, yeah. you know, or they can figure things out for themselves. They can ask colleagues. And, you know, so that was, that was in some ways, um, a little bit of an irrational fear because, she was the head of the department. So she, it's her prerogative to set whatever policies she wants to set. And, you know, I also made her or helped her to realize that, um, you know, by her having her door open all day, she never had a chance to do her own work. She had to take her yes. work home on the weekends. And so, you know, when she came to me, she was talking about the fact that she was working so many hours and, she really wasn't able to enjoy time with her family on the weekends. And so, you know, when she had to kind of look at the balance between like, okay, do I close my door for two hours a day and get my work done? And maybe people are going to think I'm not as helpful as I'd like them to feel like I am versus disappointing her children and, and her having to say, sorry, mommy's got to close the door at home and yeah. work on her work and I can't come out and play with you. You know, I, I think that when she realized the cost, that it was a pretty easy decision to, I'm closing the door at work because yep. these are adults yep. and I want the time with my family. And, and once she did it, she was like, oh my gosh, like people are just figuring out this stuff for themselves. Like they don't need me. Yeah. You know, they were just coming to me because that was the, you know, that was the path of least resistance for yeah. them. A crutch. Um, yeah, it really was a crutch. And, you know, I also got her thinking about, you know, how expensive it was for the company for her to allow problems to be solved that way. Like she's a very expensive problem solver. She was, you know, she was, uh, basically solving problems for people in her department that probably made a quarter of what she made. Right. So it, it doesn't make sense to, you know, have somebody that makes four times as much solving a problem that somebody that makes a lot less could spend a little bit more time solving. Yep. You know, yep. As, as long as it didn't take them four times as long to solve the problem. And then it's still cheaper to have that person do it than for her to step in because there are bigger projects and more important projects that she was not working on when she was solving these junior people's problems. Yes. So I like what brought, like what that brought me up, like what brought um, up in my mind was like boundaries. Um, so it sounds like what you really try and help people do is kind of go inwards, discover their, you know, what they're actually wanting within themselves, but then also set setting boundaries within their life and in themselves so that they show up and actually can show up the way that they want to. They can be fulfilled within what they're achieving. So 
what are some ways that you help people understand what a boundary is? Because some people have no idea what they <laughs> right, are. Right, right. Um, how do you help, like, how do you help someone understand what a boundary is? Like an internal boundary for themselves, an external boundary for others. And then how do you start helping them implement them? Because I heard, I heard a saying and I forget who it said, uh, who said it, but they said it's not so much how much, like, the telling of the boundary, like you tell them, but it's the consequences that you make sure the person gets if they are not respecting it. So, mm-hmm. and they put the, they, the example that they said, I was on a podcast, I believe was if someone's constantly, if you said no phone calls after six and someone's just calling, you know, they're calling four or five times a week after six and it's for silly little things. Well, Block them after six o'clock. Their number can't come through your sure. phone, especially right. after if you've told them enough. Hey, yeah. you know this is my family time. I don't want to be picking up my phone. Everybody else is getting it. No one else is calling me. If this happens again, I'm blocking your phone after six. Well, that is now they're getting the they are getting the consequence of what the actual boundary is. So yeah, how do you how do you implement that into your coaching? Because that's what it sounds like you really kind of dig deep in, especially with high achievers yeah. that get. Yeah bombarded with everything around them. Yeah, I mean, I, I I completely agree with what you were talking about. It's not the setting of the boundary. It's the defending of the boundary that's important. And, you know, I, I tell people that the first no is the hardest, right? When somebody comes, when you've said this is the boundary, and then they, I mean, people will always, when you try to change something, their first response is like, are they serious? I'm going to get them to try to change back to how it was before, because I liked it better that way. Yeah, right? yeah. it but, suited me better. Yeah, it suited me better. I liked it whenever I could just go to my boss, and she would solve all my problems for me. She would tell me exactly what I needed to do step by step, right? That was better for them. It's not better for the company, you know, but um, the first time that you say, you know, if you're trying to set and defend a boundary, the first time that you say, no, I'm sorry, I told you this, and I'm not going to do this. For many people that are used to being people pleasers, that's hard. That's very hard. But that's where the power is. Okay. If you're, if you're in a position and you've got power and you're not using it, you really don't have power. If you've got power, you've got to use your power. And that does mean, you know, as a, as a leader, it means making decisions about how resources are going to be used and not allowing you know, those to be used in a way that you haven't determined, right? If, if, um, you know, I don't think any of us would say like, oh, yeah, anybody can just come in and grab a, a check out of my checkbook and just write it to whatever they want, right? Like, we've yeah, got no. certain boundaries, like, no, like, I, I manage this, this is mine. I'm not going to allow you to do that. Um, and I actually think that it's, it's much better to have pretty, distinct boundaries and to, you know, give exceptions and explain specifically why you're giving an exception in a certain situation than to try to do it the other way. Like if you've, it's been the wild west and all of a sudden you're going to come in and try to put boundaries in after the fact, it's possible. It's more difficult than, you know, starting off and saying, listen, these are the rules of the road, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I'll entertain exceptions, but, you know, 90% of the time you need to do it exactly this way. 
Yeah. And, and actually, I think people usually like that better anyway, because they understand what the expectations are. They're not kind of like, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to go to her or not. I don't know, you know. Um, so I, I think that what's at the heart of that and, you know, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about a lot of times high achievers are a little bit addicted to external validation. You know, external validation a lot of times is, you know, is also sort of akin to pleasing people, right? And so if we're really tuned into external validation and we are going to put a boundary in place where we have to tell somebody no, um, that person might not be happy. And so it may be uncomfortable. You know, we may have to live through, we have to tolerate this, you know, somebody like, you know, crossing their arms and being mad and and stopping out of the office. But on the other hand, you do have to think like, what's the, what would happen if I gave in, you know, and and sometimes just like getting it down to like, okay, I can keep my, my door open and I can please all these people at work or I can disappoint my daughters at home. If you get it down to that and then it makes it a lot easier. Yes. Right. And then you're like, okay, I don't really care if I'm displeasing you because I want to go to my daughter's soccer game. I don't want to have to like send my husband out while I stay home and do my reports that I couldn't do during the week at work. Yes. So within, um, within that, like it, how do you, um, oh, this lost the turn. How do you, um, how, how would you have that hard conversation? That's how, that it is. How do you have that hard, hard conversation with yourself when you're not showing up for your own boundaries? And how do you have the conversation with anybody that may be, you know, the one pushing the boundaries? How do you get uncomfortable and how do you help someone that maybe is, you know, a high performer that, you know, may be afraid of mm-hmm. flipping the script or getting uncomfortable yeah. because, yeah. hey, if I tell my boss this or if I, you know, say this, you know, this doesn't really feel mm-hmm. good me doing this. I don't feel for whatever reason. How do you have somebody, you know, want to be okay with getting uncomfortable in a conversation that might be hard? Well, the the first thing, you know, I, I one of the things I, I think about a lot is, um, you know, where's the right place to put the boundary? Or how do we know a boundary's been crossed? And funny enough, people do know when somebody has crossed their boundary and it's because they have an emotional response to it. They get, they usually get angry or frustrated or, or, you know, they, they feel cheated or used when somebody has crossed a boundary. And so to me, like if somebody comes into a coaching situation and they're like, Oh, I really, I can't stand this person that doing this and that, you know, we'll like look at the situation and I'll say, well, yeah, it's natural that you feel used because they're coming in and assigning work to people on your team without even asking you. Like that's, they've crossed a boundary there. You know, so first of all, getting clear, where was the boundary? What did they do? Right. And then um, it, like once it's clear and then you can start to think about, uh, I actually tell people like, tr- let's try not to make it personal. Like, oh, that person thinks she's like, you know, the queen of the world. And so she's going to just come in and try to usurp yes. my, you know, like whatever her motivation is, is it doesn't make any difference what her motivation is. The reality is these people report to you and it's your prerogative to determine how to use them. And 
you can go to that person and say, you know, these people report to me and I'm responsible for them. And it's necessary that I have a line of sight into what they're working on and so that I can make sure they're working on the, the priorities for our department. In future, if you have something that you would like to assign to them, come to me and I will decide whether it's something that works. Like, so you really put it a lot more in the context of like the business case for doing it, right? Like what's, what's the cost to the business of them, you, you know, like going around you, circumventing you and going directly to people on your staff and trying to assign work to them. Um, there's a cost to that, right? They're not doing the work that they should be doing because they're doing somebody else's work. And, you know, and sometimes that might mean that, oh, this other person doesn't have to, you know, pay to hire somebody for their department because they're basically stealing resources from somebody else's department. You know, so I think once you get get that clear and then it becomes a lot easier, the conversation becomes just about the facts. It's, you know, the fact is these people report to me. The fact is that I'm the only one who has the authority to assign work to them. They're busy with priorities. If you need help, come to me. And if people don't like it, there's nothing that you've said that's not factual. So what is it that they're arguing about? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be an argument. It doesn't have to be, um, contentious. You just state the facts. Yes, I like that. So bringing back kind of the, the fulfillment of someone that, you know, is a high achiever, they are achieving things, they're, you know, crushing their goals, they're, they're doing the trips with their families and all of that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. How do you know when one of your clients has had that like shift? Like where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it now. They're starting to feel it. They're starting to, you know, they're starting to get themselves. They're starting to legitimately integrate themselves into what they're doing. How do you like, how do you start noticing that? Well, usually they're just flowing um, pretty easily towards their goals. They're not getting tripped up by things. They're not hesitating or procrastinating. They're just, they're feeling confident. You know, I, there's a, there's a saying that actually when I, when I, um, took my last corporate job, it was a pretty big promotion for me and I was nervous about it. And I came across this, um, this saying that I had tacked up at my desk and it was the saying is confidence is the expectation of a positive outcome. And I think that when we approach the world, like we expect things to turn out well. The funny thing is about that is that when you, when you approach the world that way, you just, I don't know, it's really about staying present and having access to all your capabilities. And a lot of times when we're not feeling confident, we're actually sabotaging ourselves. We're like really focused more on like, well, what if this horrible thing happens or you know, um, what if they don't like me or last time I did this, it turned out badly. You know, we're focused on the negative rather than just being centered and present and allowing ourselves to be in a, a place where we can allow our capabilities to flow towards a positive outcome. Um, you know, one of the things that I've observed with myself and I've seen it with a lot of my clients too, is that um, we can spend a lot of time focused on all of the what ifs. 
And we can even say like, okay, well, I'm going to prepare for this and this and this and this. And, you know, we like, we run ourselves ragged feeling like, oh, I have to prepare for every eventuality. And then you go into like a high, you know, I don't know, maybe you have to do like a big presentation in front of a lot of executives or, or something like that. And you're worried like, oh, what if they ask me this question? So you prepare for all of this stuff. And then you go in, nobody asks you about any of the things you prepared for. And then somebody asks you some like (laughs) totally out of left field question. And you're like, okay, but you deal with it. You deal with it in the moment. You either, you know, come up with an answer or you say, let me get back to you on that. Right. And so I just have gotten to the point. And I mean, honestly, this is through a lot of my having done the thing I was just talking about, like, you know, performing, but performing with a lot of anxiety, right? Like really being hyper vigilant about like, what are all the things that could happen? What can I do to try to like, cut off all of the risk? There's no way you can do that. Like, the best that you can do is just like, arrive and be loose, be present. And you will have access to all of your knowledge if you're present. If you're like, almost in like a fight or flight, like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. You're not going to have access to all your knowledge. Yeah. And so you're actually going to increase the, the, the probability that you're going to flop. <laughs> so, um, yes. I think how sometimes, you... oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I'm, I was just going to ask, how would you bring someone present? Um, well, the, the thing I was going to say is that if you go into a situation and say, you're going to be okay no matter what. You know, and, and the time will pass no matter what. Even if you flop the worst you ever did, that time will go by. You're not going to like, you know, spontaneous, spontaneously combust if it's not perfect. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and even sometimes when, you know, somebody thinks they've done a bad job. I mean, I've been in lots of presentations where, you know, somebody would come up to me afterwards and be like, well, how do you think I did? And I'd be like, you did fine. They're like, oh, my voice was so shaky at the beginning. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, after like 90 seconds, you regain, you know, you, you kind of hit your stride and nobody even remembers that, you know? So a lot of times we're just like so critical that other people don't even notice the things that we notice. And so I think we just have to recognize that and. And, and the, other, the other thing I think this is really funny is uh, I think that a lot of times we worry a lot about what other people think of us. And uh, yeah. I think the reassuring yeah. thing is that they're most of the time not thinking of us because they're so busy thinking about themselves. Yes, <laughs> right? worrying so, about others <laughs> thinking of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, I think that we can just be like, whatever. And, and I'll, I'll also say that I used to not. I used to not be very like I, I wouldn't share personal things about myself because I always felt like I don't want to share this because somebody might judge me. But what I found was that when I did start sharing personal things that people could connect with me more and they would come up and say, Oh my gosh, you know, you shared that story about that big mistake or that failure that you had. And I can relate so much like the same thing happened to me. And, you know, I think that if we can just sort of accept ourselves and realize we're okay, no matter what, um, that we can, we can show up with less, less stress and just more authenticity. 
Yes. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I don't know if you've ever heard of the uh, gentleman named Peter Crone. Um, he kind of goes by, um, the, the mine architect, but he, one of his biggest things with his coaching is legitimately just bringing people to being okay with whatever circumstance might arise. So even the worst circumstance could, can you be okay with that? Can you allow yourself to be okay with that? Um, Mm -hmm. and, and you saying that just really brought that up. It is so true. So when someone is kind of like in the moment of, you know, anxiety and pressure and nerves and, oh my God, I don't know what these people are going to think about me. How would you, do you have certain like strategies that you go through with your clients that help them bring themselves to like the present moment or kind of relieve stress, kind of, you know, get centered and focused? Yeah, there's, there's a few strategies that I recommend to people. I mean, one is deciding what they're going to, what their self-talk is going to be. And, you know, a lot of times people have the habit of being very harsh with themselves with their self-talk. Like they may say, you know, um, if they make a mistake, they'll, you know, say like, oh, that was really stupid. You know, you really screwed up or something like that. And I just try to get people to start shifting to like, how would you talk to a dear friend? If your dear friend made that mistake, what would you say to them? You'd probably say something like, it wasn't that bad. You did good. You know, you, you were, you know, I think that you did great. You know, even if you say like, I think you did great under the circumstances, right? Like, and you talk to yourself like that, that's very loving and it's reassuring and it doesn't pull the rug out from under you. It gives you a place to, you know, you can comfort yourself. I mean, we're allowed to comfort ourselves. We don't have to just criticize ourselves. So that's one. Another one is like, becoming more aware of ourselves within our bodies, right? I think a lot of times, especially in the corporate world, we're so um, focused on, you know, like, what do they call it? Um, well, it's, you know, like mind work, right? Like that we're thinking and we're writing, right? Like it's all like yeah. brain oriented work. We're not like out, you know, shoveling coal or something, you know, yeah, it's, not, it's not a physical, yeah. yeah, it's not a physical, you know, job, but our bodies have a lot of wisdom. And a lot of times when we're in that headspace, we're, we're ignoring our bodies. So there's some things that we can do, you know, like we always hear, like, take some deep breaths, take a moment, stand up, you know, maybe like stretch a little bit. There's another thing that like, you can just take about 30 seconds to do this, to take your, um, take your, uh, first two fingers and your thumb and just rub them like very lightly against each other so that you can feel the, the ridges of your fingerprints, right? So it just brings you to an awareness and a, a presence in your body, right? So if you just focus yes. on that or you focus on deep breathing, it brings you to a, a place of being centered, right? It, it kind of shifts you from just like living in that mind space to being like fully present. Um, and I, I think that that can be, that can be really helpful. I like those. I like those. One of the things that I like to do is kind of bring myself through like the five senses. So like, what is the mm-hmm. first thing I hear? What's yes. the thing I see? 
Um, one thing that I've tried to kind of incorporate instead of just doing that and moving on to the next sense, I try to incorporate what that what I so if I'm looking, so what would that sound like if I was to hear it first? So I try and bring my other senses to that yeah. sense. So I'm trying to like, okay, well, if that was the first thing I touched, what would that feel like? So now I'm trying to feel it. And then once I've gone through all those senses off of the first thing, now it's like, okay, what did I feel? Okay, what would that, I'm sitting on wood. So what would that wood smell like? Try and bring that sense yeah, little yeah. things like that. So I'm trying to now bring my other senses into the sense that I first got. So now it's like, okay, now can I, because then when you really, I find when you do that, it takes a little bit of time. But when you do that and you come out of it, your body, your mind, everything is just really, really focused and very centered I find and you can just move throughout the day a little bit easier you're a little bit more calmer a little bit at more peace yeah absolutely you've really activated your whole self not just I mean unfortunately I think uh, especially in the business world there's so much emphasis on just like the brain power but I think um you know that's that's a limited perception of our world and and I think a lot of times too our brain will tell us things to try to keep us safe that aren't really you know I, here I use an example if um, you know most people who are good parents would not like snatch their kid by the arm and like pick them up you know by their arm really quickly right because that would probably hurt them but if the kid's getting ready to run in front of a car, you wouldn't hesitate to do that, right? Yes, because safety yeah. isn't so important. But I think that a lot of times in our minds, if we sense something is going to be dangerous, it's like we treat ourselves like it's life or death. And so we're like grabbing ourselves and we're using the most harsh way of keeping ourselves safe. And a lot of times that is that really harsh self-talk or that's like really you know, harsh rules for ourselves. And I just think that a lot of times we have to take a moment and step back and say, am I just about ready to get run over by a car? Okay, if I'm not, if it's not that dangerous, and then why am I treating myself like this? Right? Like I maybe a more gentle approach is going to get me a better result. Yeah, I'm not going to feel I'm not going to feel bullied and like I'm sabotaging myself and being mean to myself. Um, you know, I'm going to feel like I'm worthy and I'm loved and I, I can show up fully rather than feeling, you know, maybe a little bit disconnected from myself. Ah, so do you find that that is one thing that you have to work with with high achievers is though even though they have all this achievement they are successful they don't feel worthy of it anymore or they don't feel worthy of how they got there they like is worthiness a a, a thing that you work with when it comes to high achievers because there's some people obviously that are like yeah i got it all and i deserve it and all this but how how do you work with someone that is kind of maybe going through that hard time? Yeah, I mean, that is that is something that comes up sometimes is is a feeling of unworthiness. And sometimes people have, um, you know, kind of bolstered their, their self-esteem through that external achievement, right? Like, so 
maybe they feel like they have to ace everything that they do. And, and there's a fear that if they're not acing it, that that means they're not good enough, you know, but I, I really think that, um, and, and I also think that sometimes, you know, the way that we educate, at least in the U S the way that, you know, kids are educated, it's so competitive, right. And it doesn't really respect different styles of learning. Yes. You know, and so people learn to kind of measure and judge themselves based on the grades that they get, right? <laughs> and, and so, you know, if somebody has been a high achiever, sometimes they fear, what's this going to say about me if I don't ace things all the time? Yep. Yep. You know, and it, I don't know if you've ever heard this that, but I, I have like read some articles and seen some research that, um, CEOs of companies tend not to be the like top students in university. They tend to be more like the BC students. Okay. And I think that that's really interesting because I think what that means is that these are people who feel good about themselves, even if they don't get external validation. Yeah. They learn to be confident in their own judgment. Which obviously, if you're going to be a leader and you're going to like rise to a level where you're making decisions, you know, on behalf of, you know, lots of employees and shareholders and so forth, you need to feel confident in your decision. And, and these people, you know, they, they probably failed at some things, right? Or they didn't, they didn't ace everything and they were like, I'm all right anyway, right? Like I, yeah, I trust my judgment. Yeah. And I think that that's required. And I think for people that have only gotten really good grades, um, or had had a lot of success and have never had to face failure, that maybe they haven't learned the resilience that's required to be a leader who's out on the vanguard figuring out like what's next. Like there's no roadmap from here into the future. I have to figure this out for myself. Um, I, I'll tell, I'll tell a story of this girl that was in my sorority in college. She was somebody who, she was, I think, the president of the sorority and she was like in the honor society and got straight A's and, and all of this. She wanted to go to law school. There was a, another girl and her boy, the, the girl was in my sorority and her boyfriend, he was always around and they both, all three of them took the bar or took the, um, LSATs, which is like the, um, the law school, um, pre, test, you know, to, to get into law school. And the one girl who was like the president of the sorority and she was like straight A's and all of that. Yep. She did, she did not do very well on the LSAT and the other two did really well. And she pretty much had a nervous breakdown because I honestly think it's probably the first time in her life that she had to face up to what she considered to be failure. You know, like she had this high expectation for herself and she did not ace it. And, um, and I was really, uh, very intrigued and, you know, I don't know. It was just very interesting to me to see what happened with her. Like she just, she couldn't, um, you know, marry this like self perception that she had of herself that like she's somebody that is perfect and aces everything with what the reality was. And, and I do think like when we're talking about worthiness, Like, I think there was a big, there was a situation there that she was really basing a lot of her view of herself and her self-worth on her external achievements. Yeah. And so when she wasn't able to achieve something externally, that it shook her 
sense of who she was, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I just try to challenge people that, you know, maybe are similar to that, say, you actually are worthy no matter what you do. Yeah, you could just go live in a cave for the rest of your life and never, you know, anything. And you're absolutely just as worthy as if you rise to become the leader of your company. Yes. So within within it, like you kept saying, you're like perfect. And and it's the word that we always hear is for perfectionist. So how do you, because mostly a lot of high achievers, they do kind of base themselves as a, like a perfectionist. They like things to be very like boom before <laughs> they present. So how do you help someone get out of their way of understanding that it's about progress and not being perfect? Well, um, I mean, I guess the first question I would have is like, who's determining what perfection is? You know, that in many ways, that's giving up power that we could have when we're, we're allowing somebody else to determine what's good enough or what's perfect. Right. I, I think that, you know, like look at art, right? There's, um, yes. You know, there's all different types of art and each one of, you know, if you go to any museum, like each artist has their own style. They brought themselves to that yep. painting that they're making. And that's, and, and I think that that's, that's something I try to get across to people that there's no objective perfection, you know? One person could think like, that's great. You know, you, you know, you aced it. And somebody else could be like, well, who cares? Like, why do you need to go to law school? Like, I think yep. Kim Kardashian is just studying law on her own. She's not even going to law school, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think Abraham Lincoln did the same thing. You know, he never went to law school. He just studied law and passed the bar, right? So, you know, we may say to ourselves like, oh, I have to get like this, this thing on the LSAT. Well, really? Like, maybe you don't, right? Um, so, you know, stepping back and sort of questioning that and saying, like, am I giving up my power to somebody else to allow them to determine what's perfect, you know? Um, and also everything's always changing, you know, something that could have gotten you a result last week, maybe things have changed so that, you know, what was perfect in the past is actually not going to work going forward. Right. So like we've got to remain somewhat fluid and in the moment so that we respond appropriately and not just get so stuck in our heads like, oh, this is what it has to happen for me. to. I mean, that that girl's situation has stuck with me because I have I've been really curious about what was going on in her mind. Like, what was she saying to herself? Yeah, not just a, not just about like the score that she got on the test and what that meant about what law school she could get into, but also what that meant for her life, right? Did she have everything so planned out in her life that, uh, you know, I just questioned like, was there going to be enough room for her to just see what happens, you know? Uh, and yes. I like that. I, I, I like that. Like leaving room to even just see what happens in like all circumstances, just, have room, like just have a space. Like this is a space where yeah. whatever happens is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that um, when we do that, it, it leaves us open to gifts and blessings that we never could have imagined. 
you know, a lot of times, I mean, I used to be like this and I've seen a lot of people who are like this too, that it's like, well, I have everything planned out and I know what I need to do to make that happen. And this is what's going to make me happy. Like we think, you know, we, we think it's all about self-determination and, um, we're not really allowing the universe and people around us to respond to what we're doing and maybe make it better, maybe make it better than we ever imagined. Right. But we have to be open to that possibility and we have to, you know, trust that, okay, maybe this thing that, you know, seemed like a huge mistake actually was a giant blessing. Yes. Um, so within everything that you do, whether it's helping someone, you know, eliminate their, their belief of having to be perfect and everything that they do to helping them switch their script, how do you bring someone or how do you help someone bring themselves to their success? So how do you bring, how do you help someone bring like, I think I answered, I think I said that right. How do you help someone bring themselves to their success and allow themselves to like actually immerse, like connect themselves to it? Because we're so, we're so, yeah. especially high achievers, right? It's like success, move on to the next, right? So yeah, actually that is a great, that's a great point. And that is something that very often I'm having to slow, have my clients slow the roll a little, little bit <laughs> because they're so used to like on to next, on to next, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I just, I just did this great thing. And, but they're not really thinking about it because they're like, okay, I had a goal. I reached the goal. Now what's the next goal? Yeah, and they're I not showing I, up for it. They don't. They're not they don't, taking it in and actually being like the success that's come about yes. of it. Yes. And I think, you know, like what we were talking about earlier about feeling worthy. I think that when they do take a moment and just really appreciate what they've done and give themselves credit and look back over all of the things that they did, you know, all of the the challenges that they overcame, you know, maybe like people that they influenced to help them, like really look at all of the different things. They can appreciate it more and they can value themselves and what's special about themselves. And, and I think that when you can inhabit that, that you just value yourself more, you know, it's, and, and that's really, I think, I, I think that, um, valuing yourself and appreciating what your gifts and your strengths are. I think when we do that, we give other people permission to do that for themselves too. And I, you know, unfortunately, I'm not sure why our societies have you know, gotten to this point sometimes where we, we say like, oh, well, you know, don't brag on yourself or don't, don't be big headed and all of that. And, you know, certainly you don't want to be, be that way if you haven't, you know, that you're bragging on yourself and you really haven't deserved it. But if you've done something legitimately and it's, it's a big win, there's no reason not to take credit for that and to say, yes, I'm really proud of myself that I did this. And, and I think that generally people, um, they like to share in people's success. Like if somebody has done something, you know, pretty monumental, other people are like, Oh, wow, I'm so happy for you. That's so great. And usually if people aren't, it's because they don't feel comfortable 
like taking credit for things that they've done. But you know, like the more we all do it, the more we give each other credit to be like, we're all great. Yeah. Um, let's, let's take credit for the things that we've done that are special and, you know, and, and big and all of that. I agree. And I honestly, it has been such a pleasure talking <laughs> to you. I could just keep going on, but I think I will kind of leave it there because what I'm going to say is everybody take a second right now and just kind of high five yourselves. Just right. Woo. For everything that you've done, just take it in, appreciate <laughs> it, love it. You've done an excellent job. You've gotten yourself to the point that you're at and just allow yourself to be there and feel good about it. Um, Terry, thank you so very much for joining me. Thank you for honestly sharing stories, sharing insights, information. But most importantly, thank you for what you do to make this world a positive place and really allowing people to show up fully for all that they do to 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 feel their success and to allow it to manifest and ripple out to others and to the world so thank you so very much i appreciate you so terry where can my listeners find you well they can find me at my website which is terrybmcdougall.com I'm also very active on LinkedIn, and my handle on LinkedIn is Terry B. McDougall. My book, Winning the Game of Work, is available on Amazon worldwide. And I also have launched a podcast, which is called Marketing Mambo, and it's got its own website at marketingmambo.net. Perfect, perfect. And so my final question for you is, what is your perspective on positivity? Oh, my gosh. If you have the choice between being positive and negative, why not be positive? Things way more is possible if we stay in a positive mindset. There's a lot more energy there. And we also can connect with other people that might be able to help us achieve whatever it is that we're trying to achieve in our lives. Ah, I like that. I like that. Why not? Why not choose it? Yeah, why you have not? the option? Why, why not? not? Why sure, sure. Not? That is perfect. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. And I appreciate what you do. Well, Candace, I appreciate you too. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to come on your show and, and talk about helping people be uh, expand that overlap between their success and their happiness. Bam, bam, isn't that what I am talking about? Oh my God, Terry certainly brought the heat. I absolutely loved talking about achieving high success. I loved talking about showing up in your success. Sherry was a blast to have a conversation with. She shared, you know, her stories and and, and so much. It was just absolutely fantastic and I could not thank her enough uh, for reaching out and, and jumping on my podcast as a guest and just really bringing the, the value that she did. If you guys enjoyed her episode, please let us know on the socials and also please rate 
and review the podcast for it truly does help us get the value out there um, to other listeners and it lets me know that I am on the right track uh, to providing you guys with what you guys would like to listen to. It is now time to go out and do something positive and be positive.